Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Good evening and welcome to yet another Outer Hour. We're not counting how many we've done, but it's in the hundreds now. Welcome to South Africa's and perhaps the world's only live civil activist show where we discuss the issues that affect South Africans and more specifically deal with issues of tax abuse and maladministration with the Outer Team. The Outer Team tonight uh, is the CEO, the big man himself, Wayne Duvenage, will join us. Stefani Fick, everybody's favorite advocate will be on air with us tonight as well as Outer's senior legal manager Andrea Korf and we've got extra guests tonight. I'm so excited that we'll be chatting with Mark Hayward, editor of Maverick Citizen on the second half of the show and with a bit of luck we'll have Professor Richard Calland who is an associate professor in public law at UCT joining us to chat about the amnesty uh, story that we started discussing last week but simply ran out of time. So, the topics tonight are, uh, we've got uh, corruption amnesty, that's coming up in about 20 minutes, don't go anywhere, we want you to be part of that. We'll be talking about R2 and e-tolls with Andrea Korf, we'll also touch on the driver's license extension proposal which Alta has proposed, uh, and we will be talking about TV licenses. That's got everyone in a twist this week. Uh, I know I've been, everyone I speak to goes, I'm not going to support them. So what should I pay them? Watch Netflix on my phone, man. So, uh, yeah, that is up for discussion tonight. These are the topics in the spotlight. And we'll be saying hello to you in just a little while. It's customary to say, how's it? To our friends and our viewers and our, our supporters from all around South Africa and all around the world. If it's your first time, pop a first time, first time in the comment section down below. Say hello and put, pop first time and where you're from so we know where you're from. Uh, and then we'll look out for some of our regular viewers too. But first, let's say hello to the team on air tonight. First up, uh, let's go ladies first, shall we? Stefani Fick joins us this evening, Head of Accountability at Alta. How are you, Stefani? How's it, Tom? And how's it, everybody? Yeah, looking forward to the show. Exciting topics as, as usual. And you know what? It's always lovely to interact with, with everybody. So looking forward. And we've got exciting guests, so y'all, yeah. um, please just stay tuned. Can't wait to chat with you, Stefani. And Andrea Korf joins us this evening, Siegel, Senior Legal Manager at Alta. Hello, Andrea. Hi, good evening, uh, all. And Tom, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. I love the energy always uh, from the supporters. Nice to interact with everybody. And looking forward to a wonderful and great show. We'll introduce our guests that are going to participate in the amnesty discussion this evening in just a little while. But first, let's say hello to Wayne Divinage. How's it, Wayne? How are you doing? Uh, hi, Tom, uh, team, and, and, and the viewers out there. Looking forward to a, a great show. It's been a, a hectic week, energized week, but that's nothing unusual for us at Arta. Uh, very busy, and uh, yeah, let's, let's have some fun tonight. Well, let's start off by saying hello to our friends and supporters. Just a reminder, the show is brought to you by Outer, put together by the Outer comms team, Samantha van Nispen and Ivor Cleary will be in the comments section tonight where you see Outer, that means Sam and Ivor. The show is produced by Benelli Sonatla. So first up, we normally go to the comments and see who's on first. 
And that's not the old joke, but who's on first tonight is Nicola Jane Good. Hello, Nicola Jane. Good to have you with us. Nice to see regular viewers climbing on board so fast. Judy van Gilsveek is another regular viewer. Nice to have you with us, Judy. I know you'll be participating. There's Sam and uh, Ivor. Good evening, everyone. Exciting lineup tonight. It is indeed. Andrea Korf is also in the comment section. You'll find Andrea and Stefania and Wayne in the comment section from time to time. Uh, we have got Dagmar Hurleyman, who says, Hello, Outer Guys. Hello, Dagmar. Good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Stefani Fick. I told you Stefani would be in the comment section, and she is. Uh, Samantha Van Nispen. Well, there she is. The whole team is in the section tonight, the comment section, that is. Peter Roseman says, Good evening, all. Devotion Moodley, another regular viewer. We've got all the regulars climbing up fast tonight. Hello, Outer Rageous People. I like that one. Thank you, Devotion. Nice to see your name on the screen. Hilda Mayer is on board. Leonard van der Leidkarten, another familiar name to the Outer Hour, is on board. Nice to see you there. John Oscar says, evening all, looking forward to another great interview. So are we, John, and thank you for joining us. Bronwyn Grammer, another regular viewer. It's regulars all over the place tonight. Welcome back. Hello, team. Trevor Abram from Durban. And the uh, Uber that I took a ride in tonight was driven by a guy from Durban. We had a long chat about Derbs on the drive in to the studio tonight. Nice to have you with us. Thank you, Trevor. Jeff P. Scott says, greetings, Outer. We'll do a couple more. Janine Blake says, hi, all. Esme van Heerden is on board. Good evening, says he uh, Esme. Zanit Paruk says, thank you for all you're doing, Outer. Thank you, Zanit. Zanit and good uh, Zanat. Uh, Zinat, let me get that right. Zinat, uh, thank you. And I hope you stay with us for the show and participate this evening. Uh, we've got Aaron Makura. Hello, Aaron. Good to have you with us. Nice to see your name on the screen. Uh, Wayne Divinage. Oh, there he is. He's in the comment section as well. The whole outer team that are on air tonight are also in the comment section. Ain't that nice? Wesley McGee says, good evening. Abin Seda says, evening, everybody. Bradley Mark Hall says, good evening, guys. Erwin Dorator is on board, and more and more will join us as we make our way through the discussion. Please remember to like and share this broadcast. You can do it now. Just hit the like button, hit the share button. Let's get the Outer Hour out to as many South Africans as we can. We normally have a whole bunch of people joining us from overseas at this time. I'm sure they will join us. And yeah, wherever you find yourself in South Africa or outside of the borders, thank you for joining the Outer Hour. Let's jump straight into it, shall we, with uh, Andrea Korf. And the topic we're going to be discussing with Andrea is around R2 and the story of being fined if uh, you have not paid your e-tolls. Is this the truth? Uh, Andrea is going to provide us with some clarity and provide outer supporters on the DA's claims that motorists will be required to pay a fine for unpaid e-tolls uh, e under the new R2 Amendment Act. So let's, let's start with that, shall we? Uh, is that true? I mean, let's start off with the most obvious question, Andrea, and that is, if we do not pay e-tolls when R2 is enacted, will we be fined? Well, to, to answer you shortly, uh, Tom, is the answer is yes, unfortunately. And that is part of the problem that we have with R2. Now, that's nothing new with regards to the R2 legislation. But um, in terms of the Amendment Act, it specifically says, when you look at the, the charge sheet, it can be found on, on page 371 of the newly published regulations. It states that fail to comply with the directions conveyed by a road traffic sign by using an e-road without paying the toll charge. That is the official name or the official charge they will be charging you with if you are a normal road user, like a normal vehicle driver. Um, the fine is up to 500 Rand. And if you are a 
truck or your operator or you have a fleet of vehicles that, that require operator's costs, you'll be charged roughly around a, a thousand rand for that. So the short answer is yes. Yes, you will be. Unfortunately, you will be charged for that. But it does create enormous issues. And, and um, we will definitely, if, if government doesn't decide to scrap e-tolls, which we believe has in any event failed, if they don't decide to do that, we will in any event challenge it. So the short answer is unfortunately yes. What are the practical implications or the enormous issues that you mentioned? Well, if you, if you just look at the two different types of legislation, you look at this, the ETOS, which is governed by the Sanral Act specifically, and then also infringements or, or traffic fines, is which is governed through R2. Now, those are, it's supposed to be two working administrative systems, which is not. So with um, all the, the litigation that, that um, ARTA has been involved with, especially with regards to ETOLs, we found that administrative systems, applying and enforcing administrative systems in South Africa is just a total mess. Government can't seem to get it right. So that is ETOLs. But with R2, it's not even enacted and people have already received or already have problems with that. Now, if you look at the aim or government's justification for the R2, Amendment Act and the R2 Act. According to government, this piece of legislation will curb road vitalities and it will um, instill better drivers in people. And also the main, main um, reasoning behind it is they say, if we move over to administrative law system, which is R2, it will alleviate the pressure on our courts. Now, imagine we currently have less than 20% compliance in Gauteng with ETOLs. So imagine 5 million, 6 million South Africans get infringement notices. They get infringement notices for each and every gantry that they go under. That is the penalty for each and every gantry. So for instance, 5 million people use 10 gantries a day. You have to receive fines for 10 gantries within 60 days from which it was incurred. So it just makes a complete mess. And at the end of the day, it will just clog up the courts even more. Not to mention the appeals tribunal that, that the act actually creates. It's just absolutely, there's no way that it will be enforced. So that is one of the major practical mm -hmm. issues. By your numbers and by, by my calculation, you're talking about hundreds of millions of infringements uh, and infringement notices that would have to go out. That's uh, it's an obscene number. And how are you going to enforce those? How, I mean, um, if I challenge it, because the thing is, at the end of the day, if you just look at the legislation itself as well, um, you get your ETOL accounts. The registered owner of a vehicle receives ETOL accounts. Now, if you get a traffic fine, um, the owner of the vehicle gets a traffic fine, or that owner can elect to nominate the driver. So, for instance, the vehicle incurs the e-tolls. The, the the vehicle, the owner, the registered owner of the vehicle incurs the e-tolls, but he was not the one driving. So, for instance, if I then tell the person, "Pay me money so I can pay e-tolls," and yeah. he just says, "No, I'm not going to do that," it, again, it's just it's a complete mess. What Trying is to figure it out. I mean. What, what? We're going to have to have a deeper conversation because it's so convoluted and the process is such a stringent and, and, and worrisome and, and tiresome process. We're literally going to have to spend a whole episode 
or a whole show on outer hour just to explain the nitty gritty and the, the complete utter madness that will happen if they want to enforce ETOLs through art. What is outer doing about it? Well, currently, um, as you may also know, and all the supporters may know, there is no decision on ETOLs as it stands. And we are applying pressure on government to just to make a decision on whether or not they're going to continue with ETOs or not. In the event that they are going to continue, we, we have a, a great constitutional collateral challenge that we are, that's currently on hold, but it is currently before the court. Uh, we can't proceed with that because there's no decision with regards to the life or the livelihood of ETOs. And on the other hand, we also have the Arctic collateral or the constitutional challenge that we have launched asking the court to declare the R2 Act and the R2 Amendment Act unconstitutional. So that is what ARTA is doing. I think we are really at the forefront of, of tackling these two issues because it is two major issues, uh, spe specifically mm. with regards to Gauteng, but also the rest of South Africa. It's a big issue. Well, we'll keep on it, and we're sure to have you on the show uh, frequently when it comes to this topic. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. Now, let's get to a couple of hellos uh, and some comments quickly. Les Faber, an old colleague of mine from Talk Radio Day, says, nice sure microphone. I didn't even know it was a sure. Thank you, Les. Uh, Tracy McGuire says, hi there from Nelspreet. Oh, I love Nelspreet too, one of my favorite places. Theo Isaacson says, hi all. Maria DePontes says, good evening. Johan Karsten says, stop. Okay, I'm not quite sure what that was. Uh, Fred Janssen van Feeren is on board. Hello, Fred. Good to have you with us. And uh, Esne uh, Erasmus from Cape Town says, greetings from Cape Town. And Wesley McGee says, hi. We had a first-timer here somewhere. Where? I'm just trying to find it quickly. Uh, first-timer. Hello from Krugersdorp. Paula Hibbard. And I lived in Krugersdorp for a couple of years, just behind the Key West Shopping Center. So I know where you are, Paula. Nice to have you with us. Okay, let's talk about some of the issues that have been in the news this week. And we're going to ask Wayne Divinage to comment on those. Uh, Wayne, uh, the three things that I picked up on, perhaps you could flip through them quickly and we'll land up with TV licenses. One, the SAA Link Emirates connectivity deal. Looks like that is a big blow for SAA. The Auditor General, the uh, favorite uh, uh, nomination or nominee is uh, Tsukani Maluleke. Your comments on that and then let's get into TV licenses. So let's start with, uh, with Emirates, shall we? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and then Stefani can uh, talk about a couple of those other uh, topics as well. Sure. Um, but, but certainly the, the, uh, the, the um, Emirates matter, I think while SAA is faffing around and trying to get its ducks in a row and find some financing, one of, the, one of its plans, if it ever gets going again, uh, is to have a regional presence. Uh, but while it's uh, messing around, Emirates is already working with Airlink. Now, Airlink is already breaking its way into the regional markets. Regional markets mean South Africa, uh, flying into Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, uh, and, 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 and providing solutions for travelers uh, through the Johannesburg hub into Africa. Uh, so I think SAA is um, not off the market, and Emirates and Airlink are well down the road in that regard. So if they don't um, get going as, fast as, as soon as possible, as fast as they can, uh, they will have missed out on one of their strategic intentions, which is to become a regional uh, player in the in the uh, aviation market. So it makes their woes a lot uh, bigger and uh, their troubles a lot deeper. Um, and, and really, they'll be left up to a few international routes, if any, 
that are going to be lucrative enough for them to make SAA work. So it's just another and shows how quickly the private sector can move into another another agile players in the aviation industry are able to eat SAA's lunch. Why? Because SAA uh, is still government controlled, uh, cannot make up its mind, cannot implement agile strategy, and uh, you know, sadly, uh, I think they're they're on their way out. Okay, let's uh, chat about uh, the Auditor General position, which needs to be filled. And I see that uh, all our political parties have uh, said, well, we've got no problem with Sakani Maluleke. Uh, she currently works in the Auditor General's office. She's the 2IC, and by all accounts is the right person for the job. Let me ask uh, you, Wayne, and then I'll ask Stefani for your, your comment on this. Yeah, uh, you know, when we did the analysis of, of the... Uh, the shortlist, uh, she came up tops in our list as well. Uh, and just like Kimi McQuetu, who was the deputy before he became uh, the Auditor General, so she has filled the deputy role, worked under him. And I think, uh, you know, before Kimi McQuetu, if you ask the average South African who was the uh, Auditor General, well, they wouldn't know. Same thing with Tuli Madonsela, who was the public protector prior, before her time. And the reason for that is that those very valuable officers were not doing as much as they could have for society and speaking out on behalf of citizens. So the Auditor General, Kimi McQuitt, has taken this office to new heights and really laid into government with uh, bad audit uh, results. And um, if she's been working with him and has, uh, is, has the ability to engender that culture of accountability and saying it as it is and, and, and being hard, on the problems, well, then, then, then she's going to be a great fit, and, and and everything points to that. We, you know, I think always the proof is in the eating of the pudding. But uh, she came up tops on our list, and was good to see uh, that she was uh, nominated uh, across the board. But Stefani, your 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 thoughts there as well. Well, you know what? After our current public protector. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very skeptical when it comes to appointments because they need to, to show us that they, they are worthy um, of these appointments. So without being negative, let's, let's hope. It, it looks like the right candidate, but the proof is in the pudding. So um, we need to give kudos where, you know, kudos is deserved, but we, we're going to keep people on her toes um, if mm. she's a... If she's a um, was she appointed or was she just the no, top candidate? No, just nominated. Just yeah. nominated. nominated. So whoever, whoever is appointed in this position, a very important position, especially since the the um, you know the AG has got special powers now, and we and we need that position for accountability. So I can just say to the you know whoever is appointed. Um, we will we will be vigilant, keep our eyes open, and um, you know hopefully we can uh, the person can make a difference. Right. Happy that it's a woman. Yes, yes, ain't that nice? Uh, let's talk about TV licenses. We see the SABC and the states are saying uh, we want TV licenses from everyone. Doesn't matter whether you've got a television, whether you watch Netflix on your phone. We think every South African should pay their TV license. So we're going to spend a couple of minutes on this before we get to the amnesty discussion. But as you watch the show tonight, uh, I just want your view on it in the comments section so we can do a general, uh, you know, off-the-cuff poll. 
on what you think about paying TV licenses, whether you watch the SABC or not. Is it something that we still need in this day and age? Pop your comments in the comment section down below and we'll put them in at the end of this discussion. We're just going to spend a couple minutes touching on it. And let me ask Wayne. Uh, Wayne, you wrote a piece on uh, TV licenses recently. I think it appeared in the uh, Maverick. And uh, you call it a death spiral for the SABC. Why no to TV licenses, Wayne? Well, uh, you know, although it's the law, um, and, uh, you know, laws are only as good as they're enforceable. Uh, and I've said this many times, and we, this is one of the issues of ETOLs as well. You can have any law you want. If you cannot administer it or enforce it, it becomes a meaningless law. And what happens is that people who are paying get a little bit miffed over time with the fact that many aren't paying, and they too stop paying. That's this death spiral. It, it just winds downwards and downwards until no one's paying. And what uh, SAA, uh, sorry, <laughs> SABC have not done is demonstrated their ability to collect. Uh, because, you know, it's a 265 rand uh, fee for per year. costs more than that to send out the, the notifications, to send out inspectors and so forth. And uh, they just have poorly administered this whole matter. So it's become a mess. They don't even know who's got TVs, who hasn't got TVs. We see many complaints where people have not owned TVs but cannot just get them to stop sending them these, uh, their, 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 these messages to pay their TV licenses. So it's a debacle, quite frankly. And when you run a, a pony show, uh, when you run a circus, well, people are not going to uh, participate in the way that you expect them to. And then to add uh, fuel to that fire, you've got the, uh, uh, you know, the affordability issue now. People are struggling to make ends meet. And, uh, and you've got the other factors thrown into the mix that SABC really doesn't produce uh, good quality. It has too much political meddling. I don't have to remind you about the Cloudy Motsuneng Circus that came yeah. to town uh, and that messed around with the content, uh, saw advertisers leaving the show as well. Uh, and so they become the masters of their own uh, woeful destiny. Uh, and, 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 you know, sadly, I think it's time for them to take stock of the situation, uh, just as government had to do with dog licenses and bicycle licenses and radio licenses, which don't exist anymore. It's time for a new model, a new business model, SABC. And on top of that, their shareholder, uh, the government, the state, have kicked the can down the road on the whole uh, digital migration, which had they done that by now, and the set-top box has been digitally uh, administered, well, then you've got your problem solved when it comes to payment. Uh, but they haven't done that. They're years behind. Uh, you know, from an international point of view, we should have switched over to digital uh, probably, I think it was almost a decade ago, and we still haven't done that as a result of political meddling and just crass, stupid administration. So this is a self-inflicted pain. Uh, and now they say, okay, well, if we can't get it, if we can't get people to pay, we're just going to hook it onto Netflix or DSTV. Or, and if you buy an iPad or a computer, we're going to start uh, taxing those as well. This is desperation. This is utter nonsense. And we must fight this on behalf of society. Not because we don't believe it's right, right to pay your TV license. It's the law. That's not the issue. The issue is the poor administration and everything else that has brought the spotlight on them.
them in this matter. It's their own pain that they're creating and they don't know how to fix it. What do we do about the SABC, Wayne? Tens of millions of people in South Africa rely on the SABC for news and information and programming. Yeah, they do. What, 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 yeah. what becomes of the SABC? Well, you know, in my piece, the SABC is necessary. You know, they've got uh, umpteen radio stations, uh, uh, four or five TV stations, and, and they do a lot more than just providing entertainment. So they're an important and integral element of society, uh, but it needs to work for the people and not for the government and not for the ruling party and the state. And that's their problem that they've got to fix. They've got to gain the trust. So what we say is it's time for a new business model. It's time for SABC to stop, you know, plowing its woes and, and, and its demise and its concerns and issues on the public and start to be introspective in finding solutions to become innovative to become a disruptor, to become an entity that people are willing to pay their licenses, which they do in Europe, you know, 90% compliance there. Yeah. TV licenses in South is down to 30% compliance. So, you know, they can fix this, but they've got to do it with the people's will and desire to get on board, not trying to force the stick of TV licenses down people's throats. I think the time for the license to go, because it's only 15% uh, of their revenue uh, around about that, uh, the time for the TV license to be dis disbanded is now got it you mentioned the people let's see what the people have to say the question that outer asked you was would you pay uh if they made a compulsory for streaming and platform consumers too or would you pay the tv license uh let's go to andre yonk who says how will they impose it and collect it from 90 percent of the population we seem to be having that question coming up a few times tonight uh, with relation to different collection schemes ryan alexander says what will they do with the money indicating a level of distrust in how the sabc is run nicola jane good says still no Craig Frost says, nope, I don't think I'm going to find anyone who says, yes, we want to pay the TV license. Hilda Mayer says, it's another form of taxation. Ashley Elof Muller says, why must we pay for their corruption? Kurba Swanepoel says, my TV has not been switched on since December 2019. And I think a lot of people can identify with what Kurbus is saying. Uh, Tracy McGuire, McGuire does pay for her TV license. She says, I also pay once a year. Debit order, yes, but how many people don't pay? Well, you heard from Wayne. The compliance rate is at around 30%. Uh, Ansin Odia says, I still refuse to pay. I'm hot full of them stealing money. Arnold Green says, question is, how do those buy a TV set or have one repaired or claim on insurance without a TV license? We, yeah, we know that story, don't we? If you want to go buy a TV, well, you have to have the license. Patrick McGill says, scrap the TV licenses, agreeing with Wayne. And I'm just, there are a lot of comments going in here. Paula Hibbert, I'll just try and get through a couple more. Paula Hibbert says, I pay a TV license. I own a flat screen, but I don't have any TV channels loaded except Netflix. And as you heard Wayne say, the proposal is to lop it onto the top of your Netflix payment. Problem solved, eh? Um, Leonard van der Leyengarten says cost what 10 billion for the move to digital now they want to scrap it I mean we could probably spend a week talking about uh, digital migration and how it has not happened and should have Victoria Faria says it's not so much the pain over the money as how that money is misappropriated, mismanaged and just plain stolen Arnold Green says I had to pay TV license just to be able to buy a TV and we'll
we'll do one more after that. Ryan Alexander says, take, take, take. And I'm going to latch on to that comment because to me it feels, as, a, as an average South African, that we just can't take any more, Wayne. We can't take another tax. We can't take another levy. We mm. can't take another rand. We haven't got it. Mm. Yeah, we're overtaxed. There's a, a very small and diminishing tax base in this country. Uh, and, I, you know, I think people don't mind paying taxes, don't mind paying levies, don't mind paying uh, for government, so long as government spends its money wisely, efficiently, and certainly is not corrupt with it. And then the government doesn't tick any of those boxes. And that's what makes people extremely frustrated, which makes people find ways to skirt around not paying taxes. Mm. And things like TV licenses, ETOLs, where you can get away with it and have no... Uh, issues uh, coming your way, that's what's going to happen. That's the reality. So, um, yeah, I think that, that that horse has been flogged. And I think everyone agrees, Wayne, that uh, TV licenses are redundant. Some uh, comments coming in that so many I can't put on the screen saying the SABC is in fact redundant. Perhaps we can run a show on the SABC and TV licenses in yes. the future as this topic heats up. Right, let's get to our big topic of the night, which is amnesty. Now, last week I dropped it in as an aside. We, we weren't going to focus on it, and I mentioned the, the word amnesty and mentioned Tuli Madonsela had suggested that, uh, that it may be the way to go, and there was one heck of a reaction from the Outer Hour viewers, and we just didn't have enough time to talk about it. So this week we've put half an hour aside to say, well, let's get into it. Let's get into the discussion. Let's get some guests on board as well. I'll introduce the guests in just a moment, but let me remind you what Tuli Maroncela has said. It's not the first time she's spoken about it. It's once or twice that she's mentioned this amnesty. And Maroncela said, and I quote, uh, that the starting point was to retrain people as some people did not know what was permissible and what was not. I thought that was an interesting comment. I'll expand on it in just a moment. She also said the second thing is to recruit the right people because if you had no integrity before you had enormous power, you will struggle with integrity when you have enormous power. Lastly, to fix the system because corruption happens where there is improper governance. Uh, and she said, I look at what happened with COVID-19. Why on earth would you decide, even if you are suspending procedures, why would we suspend tendering or contracting with companies that do that kind of work? Why would you go to a laundry, a dry cleaner, a bakery to look for PPE? She says a lot of it has to do with training people and ensuring procedures are in place. And then lastly, she said, the other thing we might want to consider is amnesty. I know people don't like it when I say that, said Tuli Madonsela. She said it's the second time I say we might need a truth and reconciliation kind of thing around corruption. It's just so systemic that if people can self-disclose with huge consequences, it will allow us to clean the system. And she gives an example, which I'll bring up in a little while, of someone who hasn't intentionally gone out to be corrupt, but because of their position, and a battle of morals, uh, they have gone along with uh, corrupt practices and indeed have landed up being corrupt. And how do we deal with that? We'll get to that in just a moment. But let me introduce you to our two uh, guests tonight. I'm very excited to say hello to Mark Hayward. Mark is the editor of Maverick Citizen. Mark also was the former head of the AIDS Law Project, did some amazing work at the AIDS Law Project years back, was a member of the Minister, uh, Minister's Advisory Committee on the NHS. Uh, but now he is editor of Maverick Citizen. And we say good evening to Mark Hayward. Hello, Mark. Good to have you with us. Us. Good evening and thank you very much. It's great to be with you. And we are joined too by Professor Richard Calland. Professor Richard Calland is the Associate Professor in Public Law at UCT. Good evening, Prof. 
Uh, good evening to you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I look forward to the, the, to, to the discussion, hearing what you and Mark have to say. And uh, if you've got a camera there, Prophet, it would really help if you put it on because the show is a visual show. I'm not sure whether you've got a camera nearby or you could enable I, I'll your I'll put camera. it on in a moment. I'm just, Fantastic. Uh, I'm just a delicate moment of making some soup. So uh, give me a moment. Uh, we, now we want to see what soup you're making. <laughs> It's uh, kohlrabi, kohlrabi soup with pesto. Oh, I wish you could transport <laughs> it through through the screen for me. All right, we'll catch up with you uh, in yes. just a moment. Okay, Wayne, let's Thank start. You. Let's start with you, Wayne. Um, amnesty, your your position, or, or rather, Outer's position on it. What is Outer's position on an amnesty for those who have been involved? Well, well, first of all, I just want to thank Richard and 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 Mark for making time to be with us. I know Richard, you're very busy, and you've got a little bit of time in between two appointments. So thanks again. We want to get to Richard uh, quite quickly before he needs to shoot off. But Arta's position is that accountability needs to be meted out. And if we can uh, get everybody held accountable through our normal corruption, our our criminal justice system, then that's what must be. Uh, We're also an uh, innovative and and broad thinking organization that likes to explore all avenues um, that might advance the fight against corruption. So so the normal reaction and, uh, to an amnesty is no. It, it, it's, not, uh, it's not the way we want to go. We want to see people who have uh, had their cook, uh, fingers in the cookie jar and their fingerprints all over it uh, held accountable to answer to the questions uh, that, that are going to come their way. But the notion of an amnesty applies only in certain conditions, and it's very, very difficult. It's very complex. Uh, it normally happens when there's a change of regime or change of government, uh, when the corruption is so deep and, and endemic in, into society, it, it, it enables a wiping of the slate clean without uh, letting people get away with it because they still have to repatriate all the gains from those uh, from their corrupt activities. They still have to be named and shamed. And, and so there's a whole process that doesn't necessarily let them get off the hook, uh, but they are held accountable in a different manner. Maybe they don't spend jail time, but they certainly lose out in life. And it's something that I think the discussion needs to be held. But if you look at how we implement stuff like this in this country, I'm afraid it probably will never be carried out and rolled out in the way that it needs to be if it is going to be effective. So mm. our view is to fix the criminal justice system, to get the uh, Hawks and the uh, uh, SIU and uh, the NPA capacitated so that everybody can face the music that needs to face the music, but that's going to take a long time. And we know that, but rather that than nothing. And some people might die before they even get to court. That's how long it's going to take. But Richard, uh, you you uh, you responded uh, uh, quite strongly to to uh, Tuli's uh, piece, and we would love your love your insights and thoughts, please, on this. Well, thanks very much for having me on. And uh, Wayne, as I said to you in my response to the invitation, you know, I've actually from a distance admired uh, quite a few of the things that Alta has achieved in uh, the last couple of years. I think you've been uh, one of many voices uh, in civil society that have contributed to arresting uh, corruption or pushing it back at least. But that's an ongoing process. And you're right, it's systemic, it's uh, cultural in terms of institutional culture, I mean. Uh, And there's a tough political economy around it. You know, the vested interests, uh, we're seeing that now within the ANC, the pushback against Ramaphosa's leadership, his very principled stand on people really having to step away if they've uh, got uh, a dark shadow hanging over them. 
and so on, all part of a process of, of cleansing, I suppose. Now, would amnesty or would a TRC-like process be a useful uh, addition to that uh, long process? I'm not convinced yet. It seems to me amnesty is a measure of last resort uh, or it's a measure designed to serve some really large, greater good, like in the mid-90s, the process of national healing, of reconciliation at Mandela. Yeah. You could see where amnesty fitted in that, that grand macro project. But right now, what I see is that finally the, the prosecuting authorities, the investigative authorities, are making progress. We've seen some actual arrests of significant people in the last few weeks. And just as that momentum is gaining, and you get a sense that actually the people who have caused so much harm are going to be held to account, a very significant figure like Madame Saylor comes in and, and, and kind of seems to me muddies the field, or muddies the water, I should say. Uh, and, and I think it's, frankly, an unhelpful distraction. But I'm interested yeah. that it's, 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 it is worthy of debate. Of course, any idea is worthy of debate. We should have open mind. Um, but you know, when I went back to her, her interview, she did an interview with Perlman, John Perlman, on 702 of the, on the day she, she had raised this issue. And I listened to that interview with great care before I wrote my piece. Uh, and I'm afraid to say the interview left me more confused than ever about the idea. I don't yeah. think she, certainly at that point, had really thought through what the purpose of it would be and what, what the legal standard would be, because she says it should be a legal standard. And if it's going to be a legal standard that gives people impunity, in effect, or uh, immunity, I should say, from uh, criminal uh, prosecution and conviction, you have to be very clear the terms on which it's going to be given and what you get back in return. So that's my, uh, my opening gambit on this. Mark. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, Mark. Mark, your views. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting discussion, and I have to admit that before Wayne called me yesterday or this morning and asked me to participate in the discussion, I hadn't actually given it a great deal of thought. Uh, and that may be because, as Richard says, it's an unhelpful distraction at this moment in time, and perhaps it's not the debate that we ought to be having. Having said that, though, uh, in preparing for this discussion, uh, I have found it helpful because it has helped to think through what are, is at stake and what are the issues uh, that might be involved. And I think there could be a, a public benefit uh, in having that discussion, although I would hope that at the end of that discussion, the public comes to the same conclusions that Richard uh, has come to, which is uh, certainly at this moment, knowing what we know at this point in the process, to even talk about an amnesty is, uh, is premature and, and possibly even uh, dangerous. So, you know, as I was thinking about this, I started to make a list, uh, Wayne and Alta, of, of reasons why I uh, uh, think that it's not wise at this moment. And uh, on, the, on, the, on the plus side, I had like two or three. I think at the last count on the negative side, uh, I have nine distinct reasons uh, um, why uh, an amnesty is not, is not a wise idea, and I'm happy to run through them very, very quickly if that helps. But, sure. but I think that the reasons against it are very strong. <coughs> Let's get Stefani in, and then um, and we'll go through those, Mark. It'd be nice to hear that. Let's get Stefani in and Richard again before he leaves, uh, and we can uh, unpack it a bit more. Your view, Stefani? I'll be quick. I'll, I'll, I'll be quick so that um, the prof can speak again. Um, but I just feel talking about amnesty now is like throwing in the towel before we even started this process. 
I like to say that South Africa needs hope. And, and, and we need to see some type of accountability for, um, you know, just for general South Africans. And I think we need that in order to move. Okay, let's call it quits and stop amnesties like throwing in the towel. I, um, I think that you can rather use the criminal justice system with, um, you know, with circumstances. Um, I think the prof mentioned it in his, in his article. Let's talk about plea deals and, 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 and let's talk about getting the information and getting the money back before we start talking about amnesty. Uh, let me let me ask you, Prof, because uh, Stefani has mentioned plea deals and, and references the justice system. Are prosecutions enough or plea deals enough to wipe out corruption in South Africa? I mean, we I know we want to see people held accountable, but does that guarantee if we have people being held accountable, sent to jail, does that guarantee that corruption ends in South Africa? If not, how do we end corruption? Hi, Prof. Just checking if Prof Professor Richard Callan oh, is there. Sorry, no, is. sorry. Okay. I was falling. I fell into the, the Zoom. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, we, we all do that. So my apologies. Uh, what I was saying was, you know, the arguments for uh, amnesty, um, as I said before, are perhaps weak at this point, but it is worth considering. But you have to ask the question you're asking. What will be achieved by it? And the overarching question is the one you just put to me, which is how do we prevent this from happening again? How do we shift uh, organizational, institutional culture to the point where corruption is just unacceptable? This is an age-old debate. This is a, a debate and a problem that is faced in many societies around the world. It's not in any way unique to South Africa. And, there is, and it's a wicked problem in the sense there isn't one single answer or one single solution. What there is is a series of imperfect mechanisms to try and remedy the situation. Now, I think the Zondo Commission, although it's been slow, I think it's doing an extraordinary job at surfacing the, the, the nuts and bolts of corruption. On a daily basis, we are seeing the kind of the innards of the system. I would like to think that that will have uh, an, a remedial effect. It will have a tutorial effect in the sense that people will see that and learn from that. But you know what? Human beings, in the end... We need a deterrent, I suspect, to remedy our behaviour. And I think people need to recognise that if they do break the law, if they do uh, allow themselves to be part of a systematic uh, stealing of, of the democratic state, an outrageous thing. People died for democracy in South Africa. People are suffering. The, 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 the harm that that state capture project did, un, unlimited, unfathomable. And so why should people not be held to account for that? And I think as a deterrence, and I'm sure it's on Mark's list, and I'm really looking forward to hearing this list, and I'll certainly stay on as long as I can to hear it, because it is a, a debate worth having, and I'm glad you're having it. But we have to be clear on the why question. What would an amnesty really achieve? Prof, uh, are there any examples of uh, uh, countries dealing with corruption effectively? You mentioned that this is not a South African problem, it's not unique to South Africa. Indeed, we're watching the U.S. elections, uh, the run-up to the U.S. elections play out where Joe Biden's been, his son has been accused of selling access to the father. Etc. And these are things that we hear uh, from time to time from all over the world. Are there any examples of countries that have actually got this right, that we can take a look at as an example of how to deal with this problem 
Yeah, it's a good question. I haven't looked at this for a while, but, but digging into my brain for the sort of uh, examples, the case studies you're after, there was, of course, the New York rolling back of corruption of zero tolerance against crime, including petty corruption. This is going back 20, 30 years. There was the Hong Kong example of the establishment of a multidisciplinary, one-stop shop, uh, anti-corruption uh, bureau, CASAC, an organization I'm associated with, the Council for the Advancement of South African Constitution, is calling for such a multi-headed, one-stop shop, anti-corruption busting uh, unit in South Africa. That's worth considering, I think, as well. Uh, and then there's a, a, a state in India, I think it's Bihar, where there was endemic corruption. And the World Bank always gives us an example of how, with the right leadership, the right financial support, and the right balance between sticks and carrots, that state was able to turn itself around and really roll back uh, institutional culture to the point where it became socially unacceptable. And that's the point you've got to get to. You've got to get to the point where Edwin Soddy, Soddy type, type character can no longer brandish his 14 ridiculously, outrageously expensive cars and it be acceptable mm. amongst his community of friends and family. What you want is for people to say, where did you get the money? What on earth is going on here? You, who are you stealing it from? That's the sort of kind of shift I think we, we need to accomplish. It's agreed. a value-based shift. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Mark, I know we're all dying to hear this list now. <laughs> Comments coming. Give us Mark's list. Oh. Your pros and cons, <laughs> please, Mark Hayward. It's, it's no big deal. But, but before I do, I mean, I, I agree with what Richard said about values base and about culture and about the type of subterranean shifts that need to take place as well as uh, the punitive, uh, the, the stick uh, part of it. And I would say in this discussion, and it's one reason against an amnesty, and I'm not accusing anyone here of doing it, but we shouldn't talk about state capture as if state capture is something that is over. Uh, there are still large parts of the state that remain captured for corrupt purposes. You know, I'm doing an investigation at the moment into the uh, building of field hospitals in Gauteng uh, for the COVID-19 surge, something that costs 1.2 billion uh, rand. It makes the PPE stuff look sort of opportunistic and small change in certain respects. But what, what's beginning to emerge from the talking to various whistleblowers and so on is that there's a, 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 a network that is still intact, uh, that still seeks every opportunity that it has through proximity to resources, <laughs> proximity to power, etc., to milk it for private, for, for, for private gain. So, so it's very live and, and, and very real. You know, my, my eight or nine reasons, I mean, I look, Tully says that, you know, an amnesty would allow us to get to the kingpins uh, that it would allow a, a drawing of a line under uh, what has happened up to now and to get to a fresh start more more quickly. You know, I, I think the reasons against it, and I'll, I'll just put them very crudely and in not any particular sort of hierarchical order, some of them have been said already, is that, is that it won't lead to the truth, uh, number one. It's, there's no guarantee there. Secondly, it will reinforce... Uh, impunity. Thirdly, it will allow uh, politicians, it will make it easier for politicians, including the president, to stare, to, to not have to stare down uh, some of his uh, comrades uh, and to see some of his comrades, senior comrades, end up going to prison. And, and I think 
you, you'd all agree that part of what we're dealing with with, with state capture is, a, is the DNA in the political system of how you raise funds uh, for political parties that has to be, has to, has to be broken. Um, I, I question who has the right to grant amnesty. Again, as Richard said, you know, corruption has cost lives. It, it's not just the lives that were, were, were given up in the fight for democracy. It's the lives that have been lost as a result of state, state capture. Uh, d through denial of health services, through falling into pit toilets, you know, probably many thousands and thousands of, of, of lives. So who has the moral right now to, to, to give amnesty? Mm. If, if you want to talk about amnesty as a way of getting at truth, as a, I've heard it said, a kind of TRC, well, I think Zondo is our truth commission. Uh, it may not be a, the reconciliation part that we have to think about. But, but let's not now repeat what we've spent a lot of money over the last 18 months doing and do it a second time round, actually just to effectively deny uh, a resolution to this, this issue and further, further draw it out. And I think the last thing, I don't know if this adds up to eight or nine, but it, again, it's been said, is that there are provisions uh, within the existing criminal uh, uh, law uh, we're seeing those being used already in terms of, of cooperation and uh, people becoming state witnesses, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think it would be, unless something changes fundamentally, and like Richard, you know, we don't quite know what things may look like in a year's time uh, that may change the balance slightly, but sitting, thinking about it at this moment in time, I think it would be a very... Uh, uh, a wrong thing uh, uh, to do. Um, you know, we are at a moment of revolution in South Africa brought on by the COVID-19 crisis, which is forcing us to re-examine everything that we've done wrong in our society for the last 20 years. So it would be a big mistake to waste a good chance to do things very, very differently by just trying to smooth over cracks that will remain let me ask a question i'm going to pose it to wayne first and then prof if he's still there uh wayne here's the example that our former public protector gave she said sometimes you're not greedy you don't need money it's your need to keep your job and you're required to approve a tender and you're required to appoint a person improperly and then it becomes an ethical dilemma because if you lose your job you might have to leave school your children might have to leave school. Perhaps they're in a private school. You might lose your home. Your family might go homeless and you have to make these choices. Often people make the kind of choice that is about what they think is avoiding pain. And we obviously know morals and ethics go out the window, but I'm not talking about the big kingpins here. I'm talking about the people that signed the, you know, signed the tender document, weren't necessarily instrumental in putting the whole thing together. Once we've got the big guys uh, charged, what do we do with the thousands of people, I mean, I'm guessing thousands, if not tens of thousands of South Africans who are complicit when it comes to corruption? You, you know, uh, this is the sad reality of, of uh, the endemic nature of corruption is that uh, the cadre deployment methodology that our ruling party uses is they push the cannon fodder, the people that uh, they promote people that, uh, that, that, that aren't necessarily equipped for these positions. 
and then use them to sign off and, uh, and, and, and place them in these uh, positions of authority to sign off so that the kingpins get away with it. So, well, it wasn't me who signed it off. Uh, and they get caught in this trap. Uh, and it is the sad reality. Now, those are taken into account when you go through the criminal justice system. But I, I would like to ask Stefani, rather, to, to give some thoughts and views on that because, sure. you know, it's not, it's not a, an excuse. Uh, and, and this is why the whole whistleblowing process is so important. And there's where we've got a lot of work to do. And we uncovered so much of that on our webinar last week. Uh, there's a lot of work as a nation we have to do. But Stefani, maybe your thoughts, and then, and then uh, Richard's, if he, if he is still here, it's nice to have the input of our guests because you hear a lot from myself and Stefani and our shows. But Stefani, your your views on, on, on people getting caught in the trap. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate and I think there's there, there's a lot of education to be done. And I think um, um, society also takes needs to take responsibility for some of the corruption. There's always two parties in corruption. And if the supply and demand is less, then, then corruption will not have the energy to, to, to survive. I do feel sorry for whistleblowers. Um, I think whistleblowing in general, I think we can talk just about whistleblowing for, for hours and hours because I don't think we really have a solution in, in, in this country and whether they get the support. Um, but kudos to the to, to the whistleblowers that did stand up, and I, and I think it makes a huge difference. I'm biased. Um, um, I believe in our criminal justice system, not necessarily people that deals with the criminal justice system. We have a beautiful constitution. Unfortunately, I studied law and not politics, so for me, it's about um, use use the law in, in 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 a way that you can you can accomplish a lot. Um, you know, as a prosecutor, you take pride in the fact that you can bring some kind of retribution, although retribution is not always the, um, the begin all and end all. But I think somewhere in this discussion, and this is what a discussion like this um, is important, is that, you know, the one extreme, yes, let's prosecute. And I think if you, if you give enough to the NPA, there are people inside of the National Prosecuting Authority that will jump at the opportunity uh, to bring about accountability. But yes, they were gutted. And on the other hand, amnesty. Somewhere in the middle, with debates like this, we'll get the right answer. But we need the right answer for South Africa and South Africans yes. and civil society. Stefani, if, if I'm one of these people who signed this is a signatory to corruption or corrupt activity. I didn't put it together, but I thought I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to sign this. No one will ever know. Now I feel guilty about it or I feel that I've done the wrong thing. Uh, so in my mind, when it comes to an amnesty, I think, oh, well, I'll go along to the commission and I'll, I'll tell them what I did. But let's say we don't have an amnesty or any kind of commission like that. What would I do? Would I just keep my head down until, you know, the MPA come knocking at my door? Or would I drive myself off to the MPA's offices and say, look, I, I signed this thing and I, I really shouldn't have? How, how, do you, how do you do that practically? I would <clears throat> firstly tell the person to go get legal advice that you can go with his attorneys to the police. It, it, it depends on which side of the fence you sit. Um, you know, as I, I would like to go to the to the NPA, try and see if you are honest and, and, and um, you know, what about a, you know, a 204 type of, of 
um, witness. Now, some people will say, and we've seen it in the past, I mean, if you have to be critical, that sometimes the people that's got the most to lose are the first um, people at the doors of the NPA, and then they become two or four witnesses, just a witness that in terms of, of um, um, you know, the Criminal Procedure Act can get in, indemnified from prosecution if you are honest in your testimony during uh, during a trial. Um, I am very critical. I think, um, so, you know, that's on the the other side of, of, of reality. But I, I think firstly, you do not, you, you shouldn't put yourself in that position. And we're gonna run out of people um, able to do jobs in this country if everyone is getting fired because they're not willing, um, you know, to commit corruption. So somewhere in there is, that is that it's always a two-way street. Remove the demand. But unfortunately, do we have enough support for the people that are not willing to commit corruption and are losing their jobs because of corruption? So that goes back to we need to cultivate a culture of non-corruption, that corruption is not okay. That question about but where you know, how are you surviving on on and how can you afford a Porsche with the work that you do, earning a salary? Um so that you force people not to commit corruption. We're a long way off because I think policy also needs to change. You need to create an environment where there is no, um, there is no corruption. Um, but again, to answer your, your question, my advice would be is go to the uh, law enforcement agencies and try and get the best deal you can get out of being honest. Got it. Let me ask, uh, Prof, I will ask you uh, one more question if you're still around and, uh, and, and then let you go. Uh, Prof, you, you mentioned, and Stefani has uh, built on it, that we need to build a culture, of, uh, a culture in this country that doesn't support corruption, a culture that doesn't admire people who have 10 Ferraris and 10 Lamborghinis because they were able to steal the money. Uh, how do how do we do that? And 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 how important is accountability in all of this? Oh, well, I think it requires leadership at at all levels. So it requires leadership from the president all the way through. We can all be leaders in this respect. We can all take a stand. What the law has to do, and the law is quite a blunt instrument in many ways. And we shouldn't pretend that the law can solve all of this. The law is just one instrument available to us. I think the law needs to be supportive of that shift in cultures, uh, in culture and values. And the whistleblowing point is extremely important. Uh, I was involved in the in the development of the and then the passage of the uh, Protected Disclosures Act, which is the law that, in theory at least, provides a safe landing for people who blow the whistle. It probably hasn't worked, and it probably hasn't worked because it assumes, as part of its core makeup that organization or leadership will be open to receiving the message from the messenger, but that's often not the case. And then the messenger says, well, I, you know, I can't, be, I can't trust the people above me. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to stay quiet. And of course, often when people do raise issues, they get their head chopped off. So what we need to is mend the law to take it, I'm afraid, towards the American uh, direction rather than the British-Australian model, which, and the American one is you can blow the whistle anywhere. In other words, we need to give people the opportunity to come to organizations like the one that Mark Hayward has run, uh, has run in the past, NGOs that are activists that can actually do something with information, come to Alta, come to the press. In other words, take the, uh, the problem 
uh, and the evidence that there is corruption out of the organization and give it to somebody who can do something with it. The law at the moment limits the prospects to do that. You basically got to try the internal route first. And I think that was, a, I, I admit, a conceptual um, uh, error at the time 20 years ago. Uh, and, and how do we satisfy the public's demand for accountability? What is accountability? Is it, is it going to jail or is it paying the money back? Is it saying, I'm sorry, where, where, where does it begin and where does it end? Have you got another hour? So, uh, <laughs> Not I, I really. What, what, I say to, what I say to my constitutional law students, accountability in, in one sense is having to explain and to justify what you have done. Explain and justify and this was what the late Professor Etienne Marenik in the early 90s, one of the architects of the Constitution, said that we need a culture of justification. In other words, to get away from capricious, arbitrary use of power to using power, whether it's in the private or the public sphere, in a way that is reasonable and rational, rational and can be defended in public. Uh, and which people will listen to and say, yeah, that makes sense. And then the other side of accountability is when you haven't done that, when you've screwed up, where you've broken the law, that you will actually have to account for that failure, that, that breaking of your duty of trust, and that you will then face the consequences of that in some way. In other words, that justice will be done. Prof, I know uh, we've uh, we've we've got you, we've had you will for you twice me? as long as, as we thought, oh, so well, we'd just like to thank it's a, you. It's a, no, no, not at all. It's a very interesting conversation. I've got two minutes now to uh, eat my soup and go to my next meeting, but thank you all very much. I appreciate the conversation. And thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. Thanks, enjoy, thanks, enjoy the soup. Wish we were with you. Thanks, with you. Professor oh, Richard right. Kellett. Thank you very much. Associate, thanks, Wayne. Cheers, Mark. Thank you. Bye thank bye. you. Associate thanks, Professor thanks. in Public Law at UCT. Mark, uh, we keep coming back to the story of uh, we need to change ourselves as South Africans, not admire corruption, not admire corrupt people and corrupt activities. Uh, is, this, is this a problem that we have as a nation? I mean, I know we've pointed to corruption in other countries, but are we as South Africans far more tolerant or, or even celebratory uh, of, of corruption uh, than, 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 uh, than countries outside of our, our borders? Is it endemic or, or systemic? Is it a problem that we South Africans have in our DNA? No, Tom, far from it. I'm not quite sure where the notion that we admire or celebrate corruption comes from. I think within a sliver of society, there may be admiration about flashy cars and brash, arrogant politicians, but those people, I think, who admire that expect to benefit uh, by their proximity to it. In my uh, experience, uh, ordinary people and the vast uh, majority of South Africans fit that category uh, have no admiration for it at all and can see through it. But I think one of the problems is that they feel powerless mm. uh, in the face of it. Uh, and we have to change that sense of, of, of powerlessness. And I think that they also feel increasingly frustrated by the inequalities and by the, the social betrayals uh, that flow both from corruption but also from from political failure to realize the vision of the constitution. So, so, so I don't know who it was in this discussion, but you know, our country needs hope. It needs a lift. Uh, you know, to, to be a whistleblower, you need, you need hope. Uh, you need self-belief, etc. So there's just so many aspects that, that are in this pot 
of this this discussion. You can't take corruption out and talk about it as if it is a something that exists in a vacuum that can be snipped here and snipped there, etc., etc. It, it requires a whole society uh, uh, solution that we should be should be looking at. Let me pose a final question to you, Mark, and I'll pose the same question to Stefani and Wayne. Are we moving in the right direction? And if your answer is yes, what, what, what do you use to support that? You want me to start with that and finish with that? Well, yes. Yeah, and then, then, then Wayne and Stefani can, can shut the show down with you. Uh, no, I, I... Look, the answer is yes and no. We're moving in the right direction because certainly uh, people are being prosecuted now. There's a political will to tackle direction, the la to tackle corruption. The language is, 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 is based on justice and constitutionalism and accountability and transparency and openness. And we shouldn't underestimate any of that at all. But to go back to what I said a minute ago, uh, on the other hand, we are very much two societies still. Uh, and COVID-19 yeah. is driving those two societies, the, 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 the elites and the relatively well-off, and those who have been completely disenfranchised economically and socially. And that side of things is getting worse. And you cannot think that you can disentangle the two. And that would be my message to, to outers, uh, listeners on this program tonight, is that solving corruption cannot be delinked from enhancing and improving social justice and equality uh, uh, in this country. Stefani, I'd like to know from you uh, whether you believe the wheels are well and truly turning. We saw some arrests a week or so ago. Do you, be do you believe there'll be more? And are you convinced that the MPA is now moving down the right path at the right speed? Um, um I'll answer you just now. I want to add to what Marcus said because I, sure. I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. We need to deal with corruption and we also need to deal with the effects of corruption because unfortunately corruption has gone so far that we now have to deal with the effects of corruption. No educate, not, no proper education, no proper infrastructure, no proper um, everything. So um, to answer your question, um, um, I answered sort of a similar question this morning when they, when they asked me. I say kudos to What the Hawks, SIU. They, they did a presentation yesterday to Scopa, all the people that, um, you know, that they're going after and that there's more arrests coming. So kudos, you know. It gives us a little bit of hope. The wheels of justice are turning and it's hopefully turning in the right direction. But, but I'm... I also need to say the following. Although this gives us hope, we will not take our eye off the ball again. We are watching. We are, um, we are still checking that you are continuing on this road, that you are not just making us promises, that you will actually do what you are saying you're going to do. So the one lesson I think civil society has learned is we have a voice use your voice and we're not going to stop using our voices uh, i think we got just enough time to say goodbye to mark which uh, is the proper thing to do if he hasn't logged off yet mark hayward thanks for joining us editor at maverick citizen thank you mark it's always good to see you on the screen and good to catch up after so many years thank you very much and good night and good luck to all of you thank you
All right, Wayne, uh, last question for you, Wayne. Uh, you know, we've, we've been doing this show for, I think it's going on two years now. Uh, and when we started, I don't think we had as much hope uh, as, as viewers. You know, I go home and I watch the show. Uh, and, and now it seems as if there's a little more hope. You know, every week when I drive to the studio, I always catch an Uber to the studio. I catch an Uber home. I get time to, to sit in the back and, and, and think about the show. And I always end, to, end up in a conversation with the driver. And I've done thousands of these rides over the years. And without fail, every time I get into an Uber, I land up in a conversation about corruption with the drivers. And I have never come across a, a driver who said, yeah, no, no, we should just uh, let it go, or it's not such a big deal. It seems as if every South African is concerned with this, the, the effects of corruption on, on our country. And, and most, if not all, wondering when we turn the corner. Are we heading in the right direction? You know, a couple of arrests here, a couple of arrests there, no convictions yet, as one of our, uh, one of our commentators has pointed out in the comment section, a viewer said, hey, Charging is one thing, conviction is another. Uh, how, how strong is your faith at the moment? Well, it, it's, it's a lot more stronger than it was. And I, I say this often, but this is not about turning the corner. Uh, this is about trying to turn a massive oil tanker and you don't feel the turn happening, but you have to look back at the wake to see the extent of the change in direction. And that, that's what we've got to do. We've got to keep reminding ourselves that just 18 months or over 18 months ago, a couple of years ago, Jacob Zuma was in power. Tom Mayani was at SARS. Uh, uh, Sean Abrams was heading up the NPA. Those days are gone. Those people are gone. The NPA is being uh, recapacitated. The Hawks, the SIU. And then, yes, politicians, MPs are being arrested. They're being charged. Vincent Smith and others in the, at the provincial level and more to come. So, you know, if you think this is going to be an overnight process, then you're going to be frustrated. We're in this for the long haul. You know, we launched that case against Dudumiani over three years ago. We've got where we want to now. We've laid charges against Mosa Benzizwane, Faith Matambe, uh, Batabili Dlamini, treason charges in 2017. Those are now being unpacked by the, uh, by the powers that be in the criminal justice system. So it's coming, uh, guys. I'm, we're at Pete, and, you know, we're in the thick of it. People often ask us, isn't this a depressing job you're in? Not at all. It's the most exciting role because we are a team of, of 45 energized people. And we see, you know, you have to have both tenacity and resilience in this game. And you've got to look uh, in, in the long term. So the fruits of the work of the fight against corruption are coming to the fore. They're not going to happen overnight, but we're excited. We are motivated. We have believed there's hope. Look, the hole is deep. Don't get me wrong. And we are not just glossing over this and thinking, well, you know, everything's fine. It's not fine. We have got a mountain to climb. But we are a country that has the resilience, that has the, the diversity, that has the, the potential to be so much greater. Let's keep energizing that, working on it, uh, and give people hope. Don't give up, um, because that's the worst thing you can do. Don't switch off the lights yet. We've got a lot of work to do, and, and things are happening. It's become a custom on the show when Stefani is on board to make a heart symbol at the end of the show. So uh, let's put everyone on screen now, shall we? And a goodbye from Stefani Fick, the country's favorite advocate.
And Andrea Korf, our oh, yes. senior legal manager, was on tonight. Also making the heart. And perhaps if you're at home or work right now, wherever you are, just hit that heart button. We make a bit of a heart fountain on the broadcast. And Wayne Divinage with his big heart on display this evening. Thank you, Stefani. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Wayne. <laughs> Always good to have you on the show. Thanks, guys. I certainly, Thanks everybody. certainly everybody, enjoyed it this evening. evening. Thank you, thank you. Good, good night to you all. We say we would we'll do a group, a bulk of good nights to the entire outer team on the show tonight. On the show tonight were Andrea Korf, outer senior legal manager, Stefani Fick, the outer head of accountability. You had Wayne Divinage, your outer CEO. We were joined by Professor Richard Callan, an associate professor in public law at UCT, and Mark Hayward, the editor of Maverick Citizen. It was an action-packed and jam-packed show tonight. In fact, we've run 10 minutes or so over time. You got those 10 minutes for free. Mahala, Bonsella. Hope you enjoyed it. Listen, I want to see you next Wednesday at 7 o'clock because this is, be I don't know if I can ever take a holiday. I was thinking about that today. When am I ever going to go on holiday? Every Wednesday at 7 o'clock, I got to be at the studio. Not only do I need to be at the studio, I love being in the studio on a Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So you can be sure. The only thing that can separate us is if I kill over and die. I'll be here next Wednesday at 7 o'clock, and I'd love you to be too. So please join me and the Outer team and guests that we collect along the way for another Outer Hour next Wednesday at 7 o'clock, where we discuss the issues that affect you and 50-odd million, however million South Africans we have, and people living in the country's borders right now. The corruption and the tax abuse affects us all. There is an organization that is doing something about it. They're the people that bring you the show. Outer. Go to outer.co.za to learn more about the organization. If you haven't joined Outer, hit the Join Now button. But most importantly, make sure you're back with us next Wednesday at 7 o'clock for another Outer Hour. I wish you prosperity. I hope you make a couple of rands between now and next Wednesday. I wish you good health. I wish you lots of love between your friends and family. And may we all join each other next Wednesday at 7 p.m. for another Outer to hour and keep on chipping away eating the big elephant piece by piece until then i miss you already oh hold on before i go before i go there was something i wanted to show you that's the poll that outer ran in on twitter 74 percent of people that responded to the poll said definitely not and that certainly reflects what we've seen in the comment section tonight i did want to put that up on screen before we go so until next wednesday seven o'clock have a killer week hope you do spectacularly well over the next seven days and arrive fresh-faced and ready to tackle corruption with the outer team next Wednesday at 7. Until then, I miss you already. Join Outer now and become part of the solution. To join Outer, go to outer.coza and press the Join Now button.